2: You're listening to WXAZ Sapphire Bay's home of the hits.
1: This is a paid advertisement. It does not reflect the views of WXAZ or any of our affiliates. Good evening, people of the world. I am Dr. Ray Manton, a renowned dermatologist. Apologies for interrupting your favorite programming, but I've come to offer you a fantastic deal. You see, I've been practicing the science of dermatology for decades. And 10 years ago today, I took that knowledge, that expertise, that lifelong interest in dermatology, and I founded the now world famous world of dermatology. We are the dermatologists that you trust will absolutely not ever steal your skin. I don't have to tell you that finding a dermatologist these days is an excruciating hell on earth. Long wait times, rude staff, doctors that don't care about your skin. Who needs it? At World of Dermatology, we've made a solemn promise to our patients that we care about your skin, perhaps more than you do. That is not to say that we would steal it. We would never do that. Perhaps it bears saying that the skin-stealing incident on record with the Raleigh Police Department, which took place in May of 2012, is fake. It's a lie. Our lawyers are working day and night to exonerate us from this vicious rumor. We have never stolen anyone's skin, though if we did, There is no law that says we can't. We didn't because we would never do that. I always say steal something, but never someone's skin for which to wear as some kind of a hyper-convincing human suit. Yet it's technically not illegal to do so if any average human citizen wanted to. I mean, you look in any book of law and tell me there's legislation against it. But we must again emphasize, we did not steal anyone's skin to wear as a hyper-convincing human suit. However, if we did, we would not be to blame. Rather, the fault would lie in your inefficient court system, which fairly encourages the act of stealing skin by refusing to ban the practice in writing. If you come in this month, Manta's World of Dermatology's March Madness special is that your first visit is only $49.99 plus tax. That gets you a full skin examination and a bottle of Dr. Manta's Skin Loosening Lotion. This is $119.99 value for only $49.99, plus tax. To some, it might seem wild, but the fact is we just care about preserving your skin that much. So come in today. We have locations in Stapleton, Templeton, and the Union Heights Shopping Center off of Highway 237. Remember, no one cares about your skin more than us. We take you back now to your regularly scheduled programming.
3: the rings of satellites that monitor and aid our everyday existence, there are further orbits still. These distant signals grow more remote with time, but each of them has a story in the graveyard orbit. I, Damona, your humble guide for the road ahead. I hope you enjoyed the cold open. That was World of Dermatology, written by Sarah Century and read by Claire McBride. <sighs> I'm sure I don't have to tell you what it's like. You're out in the world, living your life, and one day you hear that the one who once had your heart is getting married. That feeling in your gut
4: might be anger. It might be regret. It might be jealousy. You pretend to be happy for them, but all you can think about is the past.
3: The thing is, Unresolved emotions might not be the only thing waiting for you in the shadows. Featuring the voice talents of Christina Wilder, Robin Quinn, Maria Eduarda Rodriguez, and Tanner Rush. This is The Prophet from Seven Trees by Lowry Pelletti.
5: Even in the middle of the forest, Briar Finley knows the hotel is staring at her. Its windows, covered halfway with duct tape, send a fever down her spine. She keeps her eyes trained on the needles of the conifers. It's been years since she has come home. The once familiar hiking trails are now overgrown with thorns and sick with the heat of the summer. She plants her foot cautiously so her heel doesn't sink into the soil. Her destination looms before her, an oak at the center of the clearing and surrounded by nettles. Nailed to its trunk hangs the body of a squirrel. The years have left its skin leathered and its fat rendered so that its bones shine bright white through the tissue. Just where she left it. Briar keeps close to the edge of the woods and looks back at the hotel. The wedding reception is in the hotel's conference room. The walls of the countryside inn are covered with sunny silk curtains, and the breeze smells like lavender. The girls wove flowers through the overhead lights, so every now and again, a petal falls on Briar's nose. She holds a wine glass full of sparkling water, where the reflection of her buggy eyes swims. On wedding days, the servants of our golden father, Lord of Last Hope, Can't drink until midnight. Briar checks her phone. The reception started 20 minutes ago. It feels like it's been hours, but her feet still ache from standing during the ceremony. Where is she? Briar cranes her neck away from the table. She sits far from her parents. They haven't spoken since she moved out. She feels their eyes on her like open windows. In come the bride and groom. Changed out of her gown, she twirls around in a tulle skirt that falls only to her knees. Her brown bob is pinned back with daisies. Her rosy brown face glows with every smile. Around her and her husband, a procession of young girls leads the couple to the dance floor. She laughs, and the room laughs. Briar knew her first as Dea Rivera, then as Dot but all her sisters call her Mrs. Nulinty now. The music swells. They only hired the orchestra long enough for the ceremony. A pair of laptops and their adjoining speakers struggle to play the quivering melody of a violin quartet. The last time Briar saw Dot, she was a shadow of this glowing laughing bride. Even before she gets to the dance floor, Dot spins. In a second, her eyes meet Briar's, and she stops short. Briar sees now that they painted a third eye above Dot's brow in alcohol face paint, fitting for a woman with the sight. It wrinkles when she smiles. Her manicured hands tent around her nose before she squeals, Baby! and grabs Briar by the hand. Before she can get her bearings, Dot kisses the corner of her lips cherry lip gloss and buttercream. Briar thinks that, in her haste, Dot may have missed her target, but her heart flutters. She can't speak. In the crowd, she sees the face of the husband, brow furrowed and arms crossed over his chest. The first time Briar saw him was at the ceremony. The first time Dot met him was two days ago, if they're still going by the same tradition. Not that it matters, After all, he is the flesh of God and divine to his bones. Dot laughs, echoing the same childhood nickname. A warmth spreads in Briar's chest.
2: I didn't know you'd be here. How could I miss your wedding?
5: Briar stumbles through her answer and punctuates it with an uneasy smile, as if her words are obvious. She left the family so long ago. Who would have expected her to return? Surely her parents are gossiping about how she dropped out of college. How can she explain that her apartment was driving her mad? How the nights were so silent that they whispered to her. When she received the invitation to Dot's wedding the day of her last class, the coincidence seemed too good to be true. But Dot takes her by the hands anyway and drags her to the dance floor, a clearing in the crowd marked only by its proximity to the speakers.
2: You know the song, right?
5: Briar nods as Dot's hands fall to her waist and together they step into the melody.
2: What a coincidence! Baby, do you ever feel like someone strange and nice just keeps pulling your feet this way and that?
5: I suppose. Briar ventures a smile, but the chiming music reminds her why she's here. He seems nice. What's his name? Morgan? She tastes something bitter, something she can't place. It seems like an awfully mundane name for a body which contains his holiness. But Briar has been taught the tradition since she was a child. When God in the flesh is born, his infant body is bathed in milk, and holy words are written across his body in ink at the start of each day. Of course, Morgan isn't a child anymore. At the ceremony, he stood a foot taller than Dot. His suit was white and gold. His hair was a glowing red. He was so bright that Briar struggled to look at him. Dot giggles.
2: (laughs) I can't tell you how excited I am. You know how my dad is. He keeps telling me about how much I love my children and how every night I'll see paradise in my dreams. And now you're here? I'm so full I feel like I could burst. But you
5: love him, right? He treats you nice? Dot's head tilts to the side and Briar watches her eyes focus somewhere far away. I love him. And then she leans in close.
2: And I love you. I've missed you, you know.
5: The easy joy leaves her face.
2: You know how I was when you left. I haven't been this happy in
3: so long.
5: Someone puts a hand on Briar's shoulder.
3: Miss Finley.
5: Miss Finley. She freezes. The honorific hisses in her ears. Miss. Unmarried. Childless. A dropout already corrupted by the poisonous words of outsiders. Morgan! Dot steps between them. Morgan's face is a mask even when he takes Dot's hand. Then he smiles. Slow. And his eyes don't leave Briar's face. It hurts to look at him. She looks at his hand, wrapped around Dot's arm, and fantasizes about sinking her nails into his skin. Could she bite until she hit bone? Does a god in the flesh feel pain?
3: I believe the first dance is reserved for the groom.
5: He doesn't need to raise his voice. Already, the crowd backs away. The partygoers hush and watch. Burning beneath their heavy eyes, Briar steps away. Dot eases against her husband, like she's meant to fit in his arms. And they sway into the next song. At fourteen years old, Dot brought an old book to the forest. It was leather-bound and smelled like sweet glue. She held it up to Briar's face, grinning wide. Where did you find this? She wanted to touch it so badly her fingers ached. The schoolhouse library only had one bookshelf, and the books were so worn that they were falling apart at the seams.
2: Sometimes they take me to this dark room. There's a lot of books down there. I've taken out a couple before, but this is my favorite.
5: This made sense to Briar. Dot did many things that the other students didn't. She got to miss class for special rights and to sleep in the locked room at the top of the schoolhouse. Briar didn't quite understand why. Once, Dot had explained to her that she had another eye that let her see invisible things and that this eye was given to her by God. Are you allowed to take them? She had already gotten in trouble earlier today for drawing during lecture. She knew Miss Delance would be so mad if she found out. Briar's knuckles still stung from the last time. Dot shrugged. They won't notice. What do you do in the dark room? For a moment, Dot didn't say anything. Then she sat down, book in her lap, and studied the twigs below her legs. Nothing. Sounds boring.
2: Sometimes I wish you were there with me.
5: Dot leafed through the pages as Briar watched the old parchment bend beneath her thumbs. Content to listen, Briar lay down on her belly.
2: Here's us.
5: She pinned down the correct page with her thumb. Our golden father, lord of last hope, sprawled across the paper in a black script. Beneath, a tall, broad-shouldered man was drawn in the same dark ink. His brow was crowned with thorns, and between his two fingers, a star shone. His skin, burning where it touched the star, curled upward like paper pressed against the flame. Briar marveled. She had never seen a depiction of the father outside of the church's pamphlets. He was younger in this picture, yet more severe. No wise eyes, or friendly beard, or welcoming hands. She tilted her head to the side to read the text below. To walk the earth, the father must inhabit the body of a stag, a bitch, or a human man. Without a suitable host, the father will become the unspeakable. As such, it is of the utmost importance that the inhabited is only allowed to die when a new host is present. Dot snatched the book back. Hey! What does the rest
2: say? Nothing. I mean, nothing we don't already know. It's just school stuff, you know? Plus, there's other ones in here, too. Like
5: what? Dot flipped to a page marked by a satin ribbon. There were two illustrations. One, a nude woman with wild hair. She held a tree branch in one hand and the leash of a coyote in another. Silk fell at her feet in waves. The other... A girl crouched between nettles, her eyes beaming out from beneath a pelt.
2: It says her name is Our Lady Who Hides Her Eyes in the Wood. She lives under the ground and in the trees, and it says she can look like a lot of things.
5: Why would you want to do that? But Briar already knew the answer. When she dragged her finger down the side of the page, she imagined what it must be like to stalk the woods unbound by houses, or fathers, or gods.
2: She's pretty, don't you think?
5: Briar nodded.
2: It says she's a hunter, and the people who worshipped her would bring her the carcasses of the animals they killed.
5: Ew. Briar swatted at Dot's hand. That's so gross. Did they really?
2: Uh-huh. They even got to ask her for favors if they did it enough.
5: Briar fell back into the grass. As the sky spun above her, Dot's dark hair and lacy blouse fluttered in her periphery. Briar would ask for so many things if she could. To live cradled in the trees, to read past her bedtime, to go to a school that taught her how plants breathe. What would you ask her for, if you could? Hmm. Her lips twisted to the side.
2: I'm not sure yet.
5: Briar retires before midnight, but she can't sleep. She hears the wedding party in every inch of the sweating concrete walls. They start laughing first, and talking just a bit too loud to be polite. By two in the morning, they've had too much wine. They leave the conference room and stumble through the halls, mumbling prayers and congratulations. In their rooms, they fall against the walls and fuck. Who is the woman moaning? Is it Dot? She wants to think she knows how Dot moans, but it's been years, and now she can't be sure. When she closes her eyes, she imagines Morgan's shining face, and she decides that he's wearing nothing but pants unbuttoned, and then he holds Dot by the neck against their bed. Briar has seen the honeymoon suite before. The bed is ten years old and round, and the headboard has enough slats to grab onto. She sat on it once and felt the mattress sink beneath her thighs. She feels like she's been stabbed through and that she's wet with blood. She wants to be angry with him, but she's too tired now and only sinks deeper into her dreams. But if she closes her eyes, she sees them. So she keeps her eyes open and stares at the book on her end table. She stole it when she left. Before that, Dot had kept it on her nightstand and slept with her hand against the cover. Briar reads the title when the light of the errant traffic shines through her window. Old Gods of Seven Trees. Its first page is a warning. These entities have lived in Seven Trees for far longer than its human inhabitants. (laughs) Briar had one foot in and one foot out of Seven Trees by the time she was 18.
0: shopify.com slash realm
1: My name is Jenny Owen Youngs And I'm Kristen Russo And together we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time podcasting about each and every one. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com Listen wherever you get your podcasts
5: During the day she worked retail At night, she took classes at a community college half an hour away. She made enough money to live in a shithole at the end of town, which was better, always better, than the bedroom beneath her parents' house. She looked out her window and saw the yellow tails of the grass fluttering in the wind. She saw the evergreens go on and on and on. She didn't see a single other house, not an overgrown yard with chickens and wire cages, nor mothers in foot-length gowns carrying casseroles over their heads. No more celery and peanut butter feasts after worship in the cellar. No more hiding when the social worker knocked on the door. But it wasn't far enough. Every night, she felt the hunger in her chest. When she clocked out of work, she started walking south to the cul-de-sac where the servants lived, and she would walk that way for blocks before she realized it was always the nettles that woke her from a reverie. She fed the hunger by getting coffee with Dot every week. In the corner of their favorite cafe, she sank into the booth and tried to ignore the glowing eyes of the seven trees' buildings, the historic A-frames with the stained glass roses embedded in the windows. You look awful, hun. I, I think I need to move. Dot nodded but said nothing. They had never been like this as kids, Briar mourned. It seemed like Dot came here every week a little smaller, eyes a little darker. Dot didn't drink her coffee. She played with her fingers, held them scrunched up against her nose, sniffed. Sometimes, when they left the cafe, Briar would kiss the back of Dot's hand, and Dot would let her. She tried not to think about the nights when Dot was too tired to go home herself, and would sleep curled up against Briar's stomach. The bed pushed beneath the windowsill so they could stare into an expanse of grass and evergreens. The nights when she put her hand to the flat of Dot's stomach dipped into the warmth of her navel and kneaded the tender flesh like a cat on a blanket. Briar didn't think this would be one of those nights.
2: I think I love you. Don't say that. You're my only friend. Don't say that either.
5: Dot hiccuped.
2: (coughs) I want to show you something. Once I show it to you, you can leave, all right?
5: So Briar agreed, and Dot took her to the schoolhouse. They walked through rows of pencil-scarred desks and blackboards still dusted with chalk. A staircase in the back led to the attic. Dot opened it with a bronze key and lingered at the threshold.
2: See? Just a normal room.
5: If it's normal... Why are you showing it to me?
2: I need you to tell me it's just a normal room.
5: Frowning, Briar nodded and walked inside. Crates were stacked up on either side of the room, and knickknacks were piled on top of those. All the way at the end, a twin-sized bed sat beneath a circular window, but it was so dusty that Briar was sure that no one had been here in a long time. The wood beneath the bed was darker. Briar grabbed the bed frame and pulled until she revealed the stain.
2: I looked at that sometimes and thought that it looked like the shape of a person. Actually, I thought I saw someone die there. See. She points from the
5: stairs inward.
2: They just carried him in. He was already sleeping and he wasn't wearing any clothes. They just put him right there, right in that spot. Then they used a knife to open up his stomach. He had guts like a chicken's, but I think that made it worse. I don't remember what I saw inside of him. I just remember seeing seeing it like a movie playing in my head, and then I was screaming. So they tied me to the bed until I was quiet.
5: She pressed her lips together, playing with her hands again. It's just a normal room.
2: Yeah. It must have been a dream.
5: Three hours past drinking hour, a knock startles Briar. She sits up. It comes again, louder. Some drunk party, are she sure? In the silence, she hears labored breathing. She stands and doesn't understand the rapid beating of her own heart. But she opens the door, sees Dot's eyes. Baby? Baby? Dot's breathing so fast that she hiccups. She can barely get a word out. She chokes down another breath, and mucus falls down her face. Baby, I- I, Briar has never seen her cry like this.
2: I-I-I didn't mean to. What?
5: A car rumbles outside, headlights flashing. The light shines on the blood that coats Dot's skin. She holds a knife in her hands. Already, there is a puddle at her feet. Oh my god! Dot! Briar grabs her by the arm and pulls her in. The door clicks shut behind them. I didn't mean to. You have to believe me. Briar flips on the lamp, but the light scares her more. The blood is bright red. Dot isn't even dressed. Her torn lace veil sits on her shoulders like a bird's discarded feathers. She wears nothing else but her underwear, a matching set. And when had she gotten so thin? Briar puts the flat of her palms against Dot's ribcage. She could wrap her fingers around Dot's body twice over. She's slippery and she's shivering. Briar stares. She takes her hands away, and now her palms are slick with blood too. Baby? Dot's whisper startles Briar. Electricity fills her bones, and the room comes into sharp focus. Here, here, um... She grabs a rope from the bathroom and drapes it over Dot's shoulders. Dot's eyes flicker to the other side of the room, across the window panes, like she's reading. Briar puts her hands on either side of Dot's face. A metallic smell overwhelms her. Are you hurt? Dot's face collapses, but she manages to hold back another sob. Her head moves from side to side.
2: No, no, no.
5: Dot... What happened? She isn't hurt. This blood isn't hers. Briar opens her mouth, but no words come out. She wonders if she's breathing. She looks down at the knife. Then Dot looks down too. Dot's eyes widen as if she's forgotten that she's holding it. The knife falls to the floor with a sharp thud. Dot wraps her arms around herself. You should
2: have heard what they said. You would have done it too.
5: Briar shakes her head. She remembers what she thought at the reception, and she wants to vomit. No, I... you don't know what you're talking about. An animal sound gurgles in Dot's throat.
2: I didn't want to kill him. I didn't.
5: Briar swallows the bile rising in her throat. Her head goes fuzzy. Is she still breathing? She paces between the bed and the TV set. You know what they're going to do, right? They're going to call the cops. That's not what you should be afraid of. What the fuck are you... Dot, you'll go to jail. Dot shakes her head again, fresh tears spilling over her cheeks. She holds herself so tightly that the skin beneath her fingers goes pale.
2: It's already coming.
5: Briar doesn't wait. She throws her bag over her shoulder, and grabs Dot by the arm. We have to go. Now. They run. The lobby is far away now, and the hotel amaze. Even the ceiling lights have gone out. Where is the closest exit? Briar can't remember. Only the conference room, and the shoddy orchestra arrangement, and the laughing couples. Dot's body goes rigid. She stops short, and Briar stumbles. He's here. A light streams down the hall, so bright that it floods the old picture frames and newly waxed floors. It's as tall as a ceiling. It lumbers on limbs that are folded to fit in a building made for men. Briar sees its hands first, palms flat against the floor, and fingers so long that they extend past its head. It has the face of a statue. Its eyes are disks pupilless, and they shine like headlights. It stares forward into the connecting hall, too preoccupied to see them yet. Daya. The mouth falls open. Its teeth are thin like needles. Daya. The mangled name tumbles out of its maw as it lurches forward. Briar pulls Dot around the corner and presses her against the wall. She can still hear it breathing, its lungs clicking like clockwork. Light fills the hallway where they stood, and with it, a head like that of an incandescent bulb. Briar squeezes her eyes shut. Dot takes her hand. They wait until its light begins to fade. Briar risks a glance around the corner. It's nearly gone. Something trails behind it, limp and glimmering white. A torn shirt. Briar smells formaldehyde. What what, what? what is that?
2: I couldn't kill him. He can't die.
5: They run deeper into the hotel, where an exit sign glows. Far behind them, a woman begins to wail.
2: You're right, baby. Lots of things die
5: here. Briar and Dot walked along the side of the road. School had let out half an hour before, and they were sure their parents wouldn't miss them, not if they returned before sundown. Every few seconds, a car barreled past, and the wind tangled in Briar's curly hair. The highway smelled like something was burning. The air was too hot. Despite that, Dot shivered. Are you cold? Dot nodded. Briar took off her cardigan and draped it over Dot's shoulders. There's so many people here. They won't look at you. They're too busy driving. She came here every other day, especially when she didn't have homework. This road was the only way to get to the shopping center on the east side.
2: No, not those ones.
5: Briar tilted her head to the side. They weren't near the city yet. Only the road and the forest stretched before them. Who? Dot took Briar's hand and pulled them as far from the road as possible. Briar felt like a wall, guarding her friend from the stink of the highway. She'd always been taller than Dot, and bigger and faster. She liked to feel like this.
2: Never mind. It doesn't matter.
5: Dot frowned.
2: What if they look anyway?
5: It's okay. They don't know you. Dot's eyes flickered between the road and the woods. Briar knew that she struggled to believe those words. In town, everyone knew her. Everyone loved her. The land dipped into woody brush and half-mangled trees with asphalt ended. They climbed over the metal barrier and into the cavernous valley. Baby! Dot stopped and squeezed Briar's arm. She pointed at something in the forest. Briar squinted. What? But before she got an answer, Dot ducked into the underbrush. Briar ran after her. At the bottom of the valley, Dot knelt beside the carcass of a small animal. A squirrel. There was something wrong with its back feet. They were flat and matted with something slick and brown. After a moment, its chest rose. Briar gasped and jumped back. It's still alive. Her heart tried to burst out of her throat.
2: We have to be the ones to kill it.
5: Dot reached into her bag and pulled out a pocket knife. With a flick of her thumb, the blade flashed.
2: Otherwise it won't count. This is perfect. Where did you
5: get that knife? Dot shrugged.
2: The schoolhouse. I had to kill a chicken to predict how the farm would do this fall. At least we got to eat it.
5: Briar didn't ask anything else. Dot slid the knife into the squirrel's throat. They stumble into the street. The emergency door locks behind them, and now it's starting to rain. Water splatters beneath Briar's boots. She falls against the wall and tries to catch her breath. She holds Dot to her chest. Her hair smells like rose shampoo. Somehow, beneath the cloying scent of butchered meat, she smells it.
2: I can still hear him.
5: Briar stares ahead of them. No one parks in the back. Between the lot and the forest, a wooden fence struggles to sand. What does he sound like?
2: He doesn't talk like a person does.
5: Dot shakes her head.
2: Do you think his body is still there? I saw his organs, baby. He was still breathing.
5: I don't know, Dot. The sirens make them both stiffen. Briar grips Dot's shoulders so hard that her skin goes white. We can't go to my car. They'll see us. She realizes how much she has to leave here. The Book of God still on the table. Her journal notes in the glove compartment. Her little apartment nestled back in the New York snow. Her cat she starts to shake. Dot slides out of her grasp. In three strides, she's at the fence. She swings herself over and for a moment, Briar thinks she looks like a doe. Briar follows. By the time she's at the fence, Dot has reached the woods. The wind steals her robe and her silhouetted form disappears into the ferns. Dot! She can't bear to make herself louder. She can't stop running, either. The woods close in on her. Leaves blot out the sky. She can't see. With each step, another branch claws at her face, and the wet soil swallows her feet. She sees a flash of Dot's bridal lace, a bright red against a brighter white, and steps forward. Dot stands at the edge of the clearing. The squirrel is gone, and so is the oak tree. In their place, the ground opens to a staircase, spiraling into the silt. Dot! Someone shouts behind them. Heavy boots trample through the brambles. Briar watches blue and red lights bounce off the trees. Dot walks toward it. The eyes of the birches follow her.
2: It's safe. What the fuck do you
5: mean, it's safe?
2: Don't you remember?
5: She turns around. Her eyes are wide and swimming.
2: Tell me you remember.
5: She waits there, holding Briar's hand so tightly that the bones grind together. It occurs to Briar that Dot won't leave. Not without her. The sirens are closer now. Briar walks to the edge of the descent. The moonlight hits the top of Dot's head. The broken petals still pinned to her hair. Briar puts a single foot on the first step. It creaks beneath her weight. Like tendrils, the roots of nearby trees worm through the exposed soil and burrow into the strange wood. She looks further down, where yew branches with plump red berries weave through the rafters. Dot looks over her shoulder. When she meets Briar's gaze, she holds out a hand. When she steps down, the soil closes up above them. In this place beneath the earth, a strange and sourceless light illuminates the path before them. Briar holds onto Dot like she's afraid Dot will fall to pieces if she lets go. So they walk like a creature with four legs and two heads glued together with sweat and blood. The burrow becomes a tunnel of tree roots knotted like threads on a loom. Mice and finches and stoats and rabbits weave between the roots, carrying little twigs and pieces of cotton for their nests. These denizens pay Briar and Dot no mind. As they walk on, the roots become planks of wood. The hallway becomes a cabin room full of sleeping dogs. Hounds and shepherds, coyotes and wolves, tangled up in a pile of limbs and teeth. At the center of them, a woman sits silhouetted by the low, red glow of her hearth. Briar snarls.
4: You can't have her.
5: The dogs wake, and from their gaping mouths, a single voice emerges from their throats.
3: Your debt is old, and your payment is collected in full.
5: Years ago, Dot lined her nail up against the eye of the squirrel. With one blow from her hammer, the skull cracked. Another strike, the bark beneath it buckled outward like a flower about to bloom. Briar watched the sunlight catch on the old sticky blood smeared across Dot's thumb.
2: You gotta repeat after me.
5: They had agreed to do the ritual just before dusk because their families would be inside eating. Briar stepped beside her. Alright. My lady. My lady.
2: I offer you the flesh of this creature.
5: I offer you the flesh of this creature
2: whose bodies have nourished our families.
5: Briar paused. What eats rotting squirrels? Vultures, I guess. Dot shrugged. Scary
2: things with big white eyes and teeth.
5: Is that us? If you want. Briar nodded. Whose bodies have nourished our families. Dot whispered something too quiet for Briar to hear as she chanted. She drew a symbol across her chest with half-bitten nails. For a long time, Briar kept her eyes closed. The cold of the forest floor seeped into her shoes. She decided to squeeze Dot's hand more tightly, standing close enough to savor the softness of her friend's cotton dress. When Dot went quiet again, Briar asked, "'Did you ever decide what you were going to ask her for?' Dot nodded.
2: "'I want us to be together forever.'
5: A warmth spread in Briar's chest. She wondered if it was a fever, if something was wrong with her insides. She squeezed Dot's hand again, and this time, Dot squeezed back. The only thing they heard was the breeze picking up dead leaves. Do you feel anything? Dot shook her head. Do you think anything happened? Do you think she heard? Dot's lips twitched to the side.
2: I guess not.
3: The time has come to lay this lonely satellite to rest. The Realm Network presents Graveyard Orbit, a part of the Decoded Horror Channel and an Okie dokie LLC production with Queerspec Publishing. Graveyard Orbit is produced by Sarah Century. Sound engineering is provided by Nathaniel Hubbard, creator of the podcast Tighten Up the Defense, and a writer for Garden Plaza Skeletor musical assistance for the series has been provided by Kate Warner, Katie Taylor and Sarah Century any additional music attribution will be in the show notes thanks to Essie Fleenor as publisher and editorial director at Queerspec Monica Estrella as decoded editor Priya Saxena for copy editing and marketing support and Maria Violante for web support episode art is by Sarah Century please visit queerspec.com or DecodedPride.com for more details on the episode and the people who bring you this podcast, as well as merch and links to other Queerspec projects. To show further support for the podcast, follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Queerspec. All Decoded Horror Stories belong to their respective writers. This podcast, all voice recordings, transcripts, and any portion thereof may not be reproduced or used in any manner without the express written permission of the publisher, except for the brief use of quotations and reviews.
4: Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.